Welcome to Future Ed, the show that explores the future of education. I'm your host, Peter Croft. Our guest on this episode is Oscar Wang. Oscar founded College Together, a new alternative college pathway where students earn an accelerated college degree and learn professional skills in a supportive job placement at the same time. In this episode, Oscar explains the mission of College Together and how they are changing the way college is done, especially with low-income students. He explains how their approach means that students are less likely to drop out, more likely to reduce the debt associated with a college degree, and earn income as they study. Oscar discusses the use of technology in education, what challenges are being met, and what the problems are when attempting to adjust education to the changing needs of the world of work. He talks about his view of the future, both his optimistic and pessimistic scenarios, and which people and groups are doing a good job of improving the space. Oscar is helping to pioneer a new approach to college and has deep knowledge and hands-on experience in this increasingly important area of education. We hope you enjoy hearing Oscar's insights. Oscar Wang, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peter. What is College Together? What is its mission and how did it come about? Yeah, we're a nonprofit here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we're focused on really trying to build the future of what we think college is going to look like down the line, especially for low-income, disadvantaged, underserved kids. Um, You know, in the United States, as we all know, going to college is more and more becoming a rite of passage. Uh, It's something that we tell young and old, we tell folks who are trying to break into the economy, who graduate high school or who might have just gotten their GED, that's their next step. Uh, But as you know, Peter, college has gotten extraordinarily expensive. Uh, The model of traditional education doesn't fit everybody. So what we've really tried to do is figure out what does college look like down the line in an empowering manner that can ensure that people don't just earn a degree, but take on as little debt as possible and are prepared for the jobs of the future. So in short, uh, you know, we are not just a, a new academic approach. We're actually a new type of college option that combines higher education and workforce development. So the long and short of it is that our students earn and learn. So they are placed in a supportive job with us where they learn professional skills and gain income. Um, at the same time, they earn a college degree with us in a debt-free accelerated manner. So College Together um, is that new pathway here in our city um, and in our region where students earn income instead of taking on debt. Uh, they earn a college diploma instead of dropping out, um, and they gain professional skills and have work and learning fit their lives instead of having to choose between working or learning as you do in a traditional structure. So how does that work? How do you organize all those things? And, and mm-hmm. what is the kind of value add that you bring this, this maybe explicitly different to a college experience? Yeah, so uh, I'll answer that in a, in a few ways. I, I think in a very traditional uh, format of looking at it, uh, we tell young people in America, we, we ask them after high school or when they're ready to go to college at whatever age, you know, are you going to a two-year college, a four-year college? You know, are you going straight to work? Or are you going to the military, right? And we have these very set pathways that don't really take into account the fact, for example, that most students, right, they don't finish college in two or four years, no matter what kind of degree they're, they're getting. 
there are a lot of post-traditional students, as our friends at Peloton U down in Austin, Texas, um, you know, say, uh, who don't fit the traditional mold of living in a dorm, of, you know, going to school full time with no other commitments. You know, that's actually a very, uh, I would say, worn and almost elitist view of what a college student is and, and, and who they represent. So for us, you know, we don't have students choose between going to work or going to school. We know that a lot of students are not fit into this box of two-year or four-year, and that most students are going to live at home. They're not going to go off to a, to a dorm. And, um, you know, what you see in the movies is not the lived reality of many college students um, and of many just Americans in terms of folks trying to work and make a living and go to school at the same time. So how College Together works is that after an onboarding process and an orientation, students are placed in a usually entry-level job. You know, we work with 18 to 24-year-olds, so some of them have some work experience, um, but a lot of them are trying to break into some industry or just get started in their careers. So you're placed in a supportive job where it's not input-output, Peter. It's not, here's a job, we're going to leave you alone, go do that job. It's real mentorship where every single week we're going to be in touch with your employer, with a mentor who's assigned to you at your workplace and with you yourself in terms of, hey, how's work going? Uh, You know, you you had your first workplace conflict. Uh, How did that go and how do we navigate it and how do we ensure that you learn the soft and professional skills? We call them forever skills uh, that will allow you to really succeed at work. We advocate for you in terms of raises, more responsibility. Uh, so we, we, we work with a number of partners here in Philadelphia in hospitality, in restaurants, in retail, um, in a lot of entry-level positions, making sure that you are paid well, that you get raises, and that you have a really good professional experience. Uh, and most importantly, that you earn income and you're able to you know, use that income, not just for, for college, but you know, to support yourself and your family. Um, at the same time, our students are placed uh, in college. And so we work with two college partners, Bramman University and Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, you know, the type of college model that we utilize, uh, something that you're very familiar with already, Peter, we call it the hybrid college model, where students take classes online in a project-based format, so they're little to no tests. Um, uh, but with the in-person support of our team, our staff, our tutors. And so, you know, we recognize that in a tech sense, College is moving online and curriculum and textbooks are becoming more digitized, but support still happens in person. So students are able to work in an accelerated format and take classes in a project-based way uh, and move as fast as they want to, or they can slow down where they really need extra help and ask for that help as well. So we see students earn associate degrees in as little as 12 to 15 months and bachelor's degrees in you know two to three years. So it is really a support system that wraps around the whole student in terms of working and learning and mentoring and guiding students through both of those components. Do you have any stories about students you want to share? Yeah. um, You know, I think when you look at students, uh, we typically attract three different types of students. Um, One is the 18-year-old who is trying to figure out what their college options are. We have a student who came into our program um, a couple months ago, and he was choosing before he found college together between college options that would have put him anywhere from ten to thirty thousand dollars in debt, even after financial aid. Right. So we call, you know, we call that the net or the real cost of college. You know, after all the grants are are used, college still costs a, a lot of money. And that student was able to save 
um, you know, twenty to thirty thousand dollars by going with us and actually earning income instead of taking on debt because uh, our college partnerships uh, going to college with us is incredibly affordive, um, affordable. It's actually covered fully by the federal Pell Grant, which ninety five percent of our students get in full. Uh, you know, which is essentially government money for low income students, about six thousand dollars per year. Uh, the second type of student that we generally attract is somebody who went off to college um, and didn't succeed and took on debt at a local community college or two or four year traditional school. Uh, they, they found working and learning really, really difficult for them uh, because traditional college, sitting in the classroom, listening to a professor uh, and having to go to school for 12 hours per week and sit in a seat, that doesn't work for many Americans, right, who have other competing responsibilities. And so for one particular student, uh, she went to college, found that she had family obligations, found that she needed to go work more hours to make ends meet for her family. And so when she started missing class because of life needs, uh, she couldn't make up that work. And, you know, she didn't fit into the traditional mold of what we consider a college student to be. So college didn't work for her. Now with us, she gets to schedule her own time, uh, you know, in terms of when she comes in for school and for tutoring. She can ask for extra help when she needs it. And if she needs that extra week off or that extra day off because she has a cousin who's sick who needs taken care of or she needs to stay home to watch her kid or because something came up in life and she needs to, you know, reschedule something, she can do that with us because we control uh, in, in some aspects and help her uh, set her work schedule and her learning schedule as well with us. Um, and I would say, Peter, the third type of student that we get who's been successful in our model uh, has been that student who graduated high school or dropped out of high school and went out and got their GED. There's one student in particular I'm thinking of um, and, you know, never really found a pathway back into college. You know, in a traditional format, the idea of taking on that burden really of time and energy to go back to school, that doesn't work for a lot of people. And so for this particular student, uh, he discovered uh, that he had it in him to go to college. He just didn't know how he would do it because he knew he needed to work and find a job. He knew that he needed something that was going to be more flexible for his needs. And so we placed him in a job. He's actually gotten promoted uh, three times in that job. Uh, now is way above uh, what's considered a minimum living wage here in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, uh, for someone you know in his situation of his family size. Um, he's gotten more responsibility at work. He's grown a resume and professional skills. He's gone through his first fight with a coworker and his first negotiation with a boss. Um, and he's earning college credits in a very flexible manner. Uh, you know, he, for example, likes to go to school late at night by himself, uh, you know, in his room. He's a night owl. So he's able to work on college at midnight when everyone else is asleep and no one else is really going to school. Um, and then he's able to come in on certain days. Uh, and ask for help and say, hey, this is what I don't get in terms of this project that I just try to do. This is where I could use more feedback or more help. Um, and, uh, you know, he really has college fit him. And so, you know, whether it's an 18 year old straight out of high school looking for a more affordable and a better college option and looking for that one on one support or somebody who tried college and it didn't work for them and they might think college is not for me or for someone who just got their GED and who's looking for that next step and feels already like a post-traditional student, we fit all of their needs in terms of making sure we create a pathway that's built for them and a college that truly speaks to their needs at the ground level. So you obviously add value by placing uh, 
students into work experience positions and jobs mm -hmm. and by helping them um, organize their program. You mentioned federal funding. How mm -hmm. else is this paid for? How else do does College Together get its revenues? Yeah, so I'll answer that in terms of the student side, in terms of federal payments, and then us as an organization. So for for students, uh, you know, when they do their FAFSA, um, uh, you know, to be able to get government aid to go to college, you know, which is the right of, um, you know, if you're an American, right, you could, uh, you know, and you're low income, you, you will qualify for financial aid, be it grants or loans. Um, you know, when students qualify for their Pell Grant, uh, which is about $6,000 per year, uh, you know, it, it goes up every single year uh, to hopefully match with inflation, though that's a whole other debate of whether that is enough for most students to go to college in America. And that's a conversation for a completely other pod. Uh, you know, students essentially are granted that money by the government to use for college. So that covers, uh, in terms of students, um, their college tuition. Uh, there are no textbook fees. So in essence, they're, they're going to college largely debt-free. Some of our students, Peter, do take on a little bit of debt or have small out-of-pocket costs, uh, you know, be, because Pell is distributed on a sliding scale, right? So it's not, you know, if you're considered low income as a blanket term, you get, you know, the full $6,000. Some may get 5000 4000 so on and so forth, right? So uh, for, for our students uh, to have college covered, uh, you know, that is largely through federal grants. Some of them take on minimal loans and some of them are able to then take on, uh, you know, uh, some out-of-pocket costs. What I'll note, though, is that unlike, you know, strictly college, you know, strict college programs, because we have a workforce component that's tied to students earning income, that goes completely to them. We don't take a dime of that. Uh, students are uniquely earning income and earning money while they have a largely little to no debt college experience. So for many of them, how they fund their own college experiences uh, is through federal uh, grants and uh, through money that they earn over time with us. And I'll note that one key indicator I just mentioned, Peter, is that even at a traditional, let's say, community college or even a local public four-year school, um, you know, they're, they're going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars of textbook fees. Uh, you know, students have to worry about transportation. They have to worry about, um, you know, how they're going to afford food on the table. Right. Uh, you see, if, if you're a high schooler in the United States, uh, you know, you might receive free or reduced lunch from the federal government and from, from your school district. You will probably get some kind of transportation assistance, uh, you know, because we fully fund basic needs for K to 12 education. But once you go into college and once you graduate high school and reach that milestone, you now have to pay for all those things yourself. So not only do we have the federal uh, funds and student income take care of the college tuition part, which usually is the biggest barrier in terms of costs. Uh, but we actually provide basic needs. And so students receive transportation assistance um, for a couple months when they start the program with us. We make sure that they don't have to choose between uh, paying rent or helping their mom with insulin payments, uh, you know, and to afford life-saving drugs. And, you know, can I afford 250 to take the bus to get to work or to get to college to, together? to get tutoring and help I need for school. We also provide meals for our students. Um, one at our office, they get access to a snack locker, um, you know, and we have, uh, you know, uh, what we call our lunch locker program where students get, you know, mini meals that can tie them over. Um, I will also note that for students to be placed in a restaurant or hospitality context, um, every day you go to work, 
you are fed in that uh, workplace as well. So they take care of our students because they're workers in that environment. And the second part of, of my answer in terms of funding uh, is how we pay for all of that. Um, one is that we have revenue agreements uh, with our college partners, which take care of a fraction of our costs. Uh, and then I would say two, we uh, really leverage and count on are thankful for the power of philanthropy. So we have several foundations here in the Philadelphia area uh, the Barra Foundation, the Great Charitable Trust, the Dowdy Foundation, the Philadelphia Foundation, among others, um, who have really taken care of us and have helped us bet um, on this innovative new model that really has never been done before, at, at least in our context, and trying to do not just a hybrid college approach, but add a workforce environment and a workforce component to that as well. What has surprised you the most since you started college together? I think... Um, what has surprised me the most, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say just one thing. Uh, I would say from an educational level, it has been the hunger and the demand of not just students, but who we call stakeholders, so counselors, principals, other nonprofits, um, for a different way to do college. I think uh, if you ask anybody who's a practitioner in the college access and success space, um, everyone will agree that college has gotten extraordinarily expensive. Uh, you know, the average cost of a Pennsylvania public college out-of-pocket cost, what we call net costs, right, uh, for a low-income student uh, to, to go to school every single year is north of $14,000. So that means that we're asking for, for public college, we're asking young people who are likely the first in their family to try college, who earn less than twenty dollars or $30,000 per year per family to take on more than half of their family income in debt per year to go to college. That's ridiculous. And I think everyone agrees, uh, or, mo or most people who I talk to agree, that college is a great investment. But long term, you cannot ask people to take on the debt burdens that they're taking on to try to reach for that goal and to get an ROI on that investment. I, I think it's ridiculous that we ask low-income folks to adhere to this idea of college while taking on the, the debt that they do with very little information about how that debt's going to be paid back, what's a good return on investment in terms of degree programs. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk about costs, and, th and that has surprised me in a positive way that folks are be becoming more and more aware of what those issues are. Um, I would say in a, uh, in a slightly more critical sense, Peter, um, I've also been, been surprised, on the other hand, of... Um, how much we just send pe people to college without thinking about the um, the real long term effects of that? You know, we uh, you know, and I, I don't think this is the direct fault of counselors who work their butts off for social emotional issues, and they deal with with caseloads that are way above the national standards for you know counselor to to student ratios in public high schools across the United States, especially here in an underfunded school district here in Pennsylvania. But, you know, I've been shocked at how, um, uh, you know, we've just sort of accepted that if we get a student into college, we get a young person who's low income, first gen, into a college environment, we count that as a win without taking into account how much debt they're taking on, without taking into account, uh, you know, the graduation rates of that school and, and how equipped that school is to support a young person, especially a person of color who's the first to go to college uh, in their family. Um, and we just say it's a win when 
we get someone into school. Well, it's not just getting them into school. It's getting them through school and making sure they, you know, end up with a degree and know how to use that degree to launch their career, get themselves in a good economic position and become self-sufficient for themselves and their family. And so I think we need to move past that mindset of just where to send our students to college to really rethink that question and reframe it to where and how can we best support students through college? Because if you don't put someone through college, debt is no good without a degree. You know, debt itself is, is problematic, right? But debt in no degree is the worst position we can put students in. Um, so on an educational level, I've been uh, moved on, on, on both ends in terms of cost and support. Uh, and I think from a workforce perspective, Peter, uh, what has surprised me is uh, how uh, there is a real want for businesses, especially small minority-owned businesses here in Philadelphia, to hire and train uh, young people and give them opportunity. I think there's a real disconnect, which has been, been surprising in terms of that pipeline of, of how you get young people and find them and place them in supportive jobs. Uh, but I feel that there is a real hunger among business owners to support young people. Um, and I think from an organizational perspective, the last thing I'll say, uh, what has really surprised me, um, is that there has been a real groundswell, I, I think, across the board for new approaches to both of these issues and that no one's really tried to combine them in the way that we are trying to. And, you know, it is hard to do one of these programs. We're trying to do both at the same time. Uh, but I really do think there's demand for what we're trying to offer. What is your ultimate goal? If you had the appropriate resources mm-hmm. and expertise, what would you love college together doing alongside what you're already doing? I think um, on a practical outcomes-based level, uh, you know, we want to see more people, um, hundreds if not thousands of them in Philadelphia, who every single year are young 18 to 24, 25-year-olds who go off to college And, you know, at a 90% rate, Peter, here in our city, nine out of 10 young people who go to college will drop out with debt and no degree. If if you are low income and from the school district of of Philadelphia, your chances of succeeding with a college credential are not very high. And so we want to see more people who can earn a college diploma, who can call themselves college graduates and create new traditions for their family. Because if you think about it, college graduation is not just a norm that is created when one person does it. The next person in line is more likely to, to then go, go and graduate from college. It is a tradition that's passed down generation to generation in a positive manner. And so you know, we want to see more young people who can su- su- succeed and not just go to college but graduate. Um, and I think from a pure economic level and a workforce professional level – more young people who get jobs and stay in those jobs, advance in their industry, and can then open doors and, and be mentors for the next generation. And so in short, Peter, we want to see more young people who can get out of poverty, who can be self-sufficient economically, educationally, and be successful um, you know, in that respect. Um, and I think from a philosophical level, if you ask what the goal of college together is, uh, we truly want to be seen as a viable a new pathway to go to college. It's not two-year, it's not four-year, it's not work or school. It is a new option that can stand amongst the community colleges, the the traditional schools in Pennsylvania um, as a real option that counselors and students look at. uh, Because I think if we can gain credibility um, in the wider sector for that, 
that's going to spur other people to think, well, it is possible to have a low to zero debt college option. It is possible to be flexible and meet students where they are in terms of working and learning. And we could think about the future of college as one that is affordable, that is, you know, complete with work experience and earning income, and that one that, you know, gives students real personalized support. So we're able to succeed in terms of being an option for students. I think that changes the paradigm how we think about higher ed here in the city and in the region. You've already mentioned it. What you're doing is is hard. It's a lot of work, and I'm sure you have excellent people working for you. What are the opportunities to, as you say, reach more people? Is this something that can be scaled in other cities and other approaches, or are you limited by the fact that this is a difficult thing to do? Yeah, I I think it is definitely scalable. Um, I think the difficulty with thinking about scale in the social sector, um, and I don't mean this to be that the social sector is inherently better or more worthy of investment than, you know, say a for-profit business, you know, it, you know, in the traditional business sector. But I, I think scale looks different in the sense that, um, you know, if we're successful with 100 students, right, any nonprofit is successful with 100 students, that doesn't mean you get to 1,000 students with the same model and the same exact uh, type of work that you have at a smaller scale versus a larger scale. Um, so how you serve a population of 50 and how you serve a population that, you know, might be controlled in terms of a homogenous way, say you only accept, you know, uh, male students to start, right? And, you know, people within a certain income range, that's going to shift and change, right? So I think that's where the difficulty of scale comes into effect. And, and so I'll say one is that we have actually already received interest in terms of, in terms of scaling, um, you know, from restaurant and hospitality groups that we have talked to that have outposts in different cities. And every major American city, uh, unfortunately, um, has issues with educational attainment, with poverty, with opportunity youth and pathways to make sure that young people uh, can not just get a job, but advance in that job and at school and gain college credentials at the same time. Um, At the same time, that means that there's a real hunger and opportunity in every city in America to try to figure out um, how we create those pathways. So I, so I think scale in terms of a workforce sense and an educational sense, and the educational components are already portable and is online, I think that's very, very possible. I think the question for not just college together, uh, but Peter, I, I know you've also spoken to other folks who are in this hybrid college space where colleges are partnering with organizations and nonprofits like ours to you know, create online digital curriculum that is project-based, uh, that is paired with support in person, uh, that this new hybrid college model, I think the real question is how do you scale it at quality? Because so much of it depends on small learning communities right now, uh, you know, programs on board no more than 10 to 50 students at a time. And so to get to the point where I just mentioned where we cannot just compete, but be seen at the same level uh, as traditional colleges who take on 10,000 students in a semester, Right. And, you know, to to be able to maintain quality, I think that's a real question that I'm not sure any of us have figured out yet. And I think the answer lies in the future in terms of collaborations with large universities to, you know, merge overall strategies. I think it's going to take colleges and universities lowering some of their barriers and traditionalist mindsets to be able to do that. Um, And I think it's also going to take a lot of trial and error to try to figure out how do you take what is successful in a small context and within 
a personalized learning community and take those values and translate them to scale so you serve more and more students. Because the goal is obviously to serve more students and to be better at serving people at scale. Because if you're successful, you want more people and more young people to become successful as well. So is there any specific technology that you lean on right now that you rely on to deliver some of the things that you're doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for so many nonprofits, um, the ability uh, to track data and to communicate as a team around student outcomes is something that colleges traditionally have not been the, the best at. I, I think you've seen certain large universities, uh, UT Austin actually comes to mind uh, that you're very familiar with, Peter, um, you know, who've gotten really good at looking from a data standpoint, how do we track students who might, uh, you know, in a, in a very numbers driven way, have a lower chance of, of graduating as soon as we admit them, as soon as we uh, put them on our campus, historical data shows here are some risk factors, right? And so as a nonprofit, and a social sector organization, our ability to communicate around student needs and track them is incredibly important. So we have systems for that where I can flag a student who is behind. I can flag a student who needs extra help. We can communicate very nimbly, very quickly to take care of those students. Uh, but I think one thing that colleges are beginning to look at and that organizations um, like ours are beginning to realize is that student communication is so important. And understanding this is partially understanding that this new generation, excuse me, of young people communicate, build community and respond to authority differently than previous generations. And so, you know, the more concrete example that I'll give Peter is that, you know, uh, I, I've done work at, you know, local community colleges. And one of the big complaints that's very easy uh, to uh, uh, state is that students don't check email. You know, you have a, a, a professor or, you know, uh, an administrator say, well, I can't believe students don't check their email. I, I email them about this class or, you know, their financial aid. And they, you know, never responded to me. And, you know, one, it, it, it is important as a soft school to have students, you know, be able to check email and understand that they have, you know, not just their Gmail inbox, you know, which might be a hilarious, you know, like a, you know, go kart racer 45 at, you know, gmail.com, you know, personal account you used in high school. Uh, but you also now have your official college email where important information and assignments and things flow. So that, that's a skill of know-how that you do have to teach. But, uh, you know, being in the 21st century and meeting students where they are and getting them to buy into your learning community and your college means understanding that a lot of students these days get their news from Snapchat and TikTok and from Facebook um, and that social media is a completely different, um, you know, paradigm in terms of how people communicate and get information and with each other than, but than before. And so I'll say actually the best technological, um, you know, uh, breakthrough for us in our early days as a nonprofit uh, was actually using text messaging services. And so iMessage, which I could do from my laptop and my MacBook um, or remind, you know, which is a great classroom tool, largely used, uh, you know, among teachers in a K to 12 context to text and communicate with students. Um, you know, those have been some of the greatest tools we've used because you are meeting students where they are. You're not emailing them. 
young people these these days, I you know, uh, see getting a phone call as an emergency or something to ignore, either or. And so texting them is something that, you know, I think uh, meets them where they are in terms of technology that goes beyond just talking, Peter, about data tools and how a nonprofit tracks outcomes. You know, you have to figure out communications wise how to reach folks where they are. And so I'll give you one last example, which is, you know, on recruitment. It's not just about a good recruitment tool, software, tracker, you know, system. It's not just about, you know, your, your ability to have a great application online. Uh, you know, in a great CRM, uh, you know, one of our most effective recruitment tools is Instagram. Understanding that where a lot of people look for jobs now, especially young people, and where they get their news and information is from Instagram stories and from tracking what their friends are following and learning opportunities through that. And so, you know, we went out and looked for influencers in Philadelphia who, you know, post about job openings and college programs uh, that young people follow and talk to them and say, hey, could we you know, pay you $50, $100 to advertise on your page? Or could you put up a post for us if you're willing to, you know, promote our program? We've gotten a lot of great applications that way. And so I think tech goes beyond the infrastructure of, you know, what you look at as a nonprofit or how you are successful. And it goes beyond that to communication as well. What technology or approach do you wish did exist that would actually make a big difference to what you're doing? That's a really, really good question. I feel like for students, they're, you know, when someone, for example, logs on to college with us, right? Um, you know, they're, they're logging on to the CRM and they're logging on to the, uh, you know, the digital platform of that college. I think in the future, if there are ways where we could, coordinate platforms between what you see on a college environment versus what we as an organization build internally for student support, which might be, you know, a Zoom link for, you know, uh, for virtual office hours or a Slack channel in, in, in some cases for students to ask for, for help. I think more integration on the actual college curriculum portion and student supports is extraordinarily needed. Um, I, I think there are many tools uh, where students, um, build community online with one another. I mean, you know, one of the big things, and this is hard in the age of COVID, and we're obviously rethinking this along with every other organization uh, that does in-person support with students, um, is that we count a lot uh, on in-person community. And so we have what we call our learning lounge, which is our campus and, you know, in-person support space where students can find quiet study carols, they can grab snacks, you know, they can meet with their tutors and their advisors and their mentors. Uh, you know, our ability to, to then bring that online is is something that is necessary. Uh, but I don't think there is a, uh, I think there are good platforms out there. I think there are good social networks out there, but there aren't good, there, there is something great yet where students can get that same sense of feeling of community and campus, um, you know, through an online platform just yet, right? Uh, every college has, I said, curriculum online. They now have you know, Blackboard or Moodle or something, you can go online and check your grades. But we've, we've not figured out yet in this digital age how to recreate, whether it's possible or not, the real sense of community and camaraderie online uh, as we do offline. And I don't think Zoom, you know, endless Zoom invites are the answer either. 
Um, and it's something that every single college that's looking at a hybrid approach or looking at only online classes in the fall as COVID continues to ravage the United States uh, is really starting to be challenged with. Um, and I really do think, Peter, as a quick aside, that's one of the reasons why um, you know a lot of folks are bristling at having to pay full freight or full tuition, um, you know, at a college where, uh, you know, uh, they're not getting the same, not just academic experience, they're not getting the same social experience. Um, and so I, I don't think you completely recreate or have the same amount of value, uh, you know, with an online experience versus an in-person experience. But I don't think higher education has taken that leap yet to try to create a sense of community and bonding online as they do offline in a way that really matches the 21st century. Are there other people or groups doing things that you admire? Yeah, uh, most definitely. Um, I think from a from a hybrid college perspective, um, our, our friends Peloton U in Austin, Texas, Duet Degree in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Jeb's Human Services here in Philadelphia that works with a much older population, uh, but that, you know, has sort of been on this journey with us. Um, you know, I, I think about Rivet School, uh, you know, formerly Concourse Education uh, in the Bay Area, I, Idea U. Um, you know, I, I think of so many partners, right, that are trying to democratize higher education and find new ways of making sure that young people have opportunity. Uh, in the workforce space, I'm, I'm, I'm really taken by, by the work of Phil Abundance here in Philadelphia uh, that, that works to feed people on the daily um, and that has a very good uh, culinary training program that has helped a lot of folks who have been down on their luck or who have, um, you know, especially been in the criminal justice system, find their footing again, um, you know, we, you see programs that that do great work every single day on an educational, on a workforce, especially a human level, mentor and help folks get back on their feet. Uh, and so I would say that one of the best things about what we do, uh, one of the most enjoyable parts is learning and growing with other people. Uh, you know, I can say in particular that our friends at, uh, you know, Duet Degree and Peloton U in Boston and in um, Austin, Texas, respectively, excuse me have been incredibly helpful, uh, you know, in terms of just having someone to text with, uh, you know, when we run into issues uh, and really being on this journey of learning and growing together. And there's one thing that I've learned. It's, you know, uh, you really do count on the generosity and, and the love and care of, of, of people who have figured things out faster than you, who might be smarter than you in certain things. And, you know, it creates a responsibility and a need and an obligation to reach back uh, and open the door again for other folks who are trying to come through and to help the next generation of social entrepreneurs as, as well. So we're very grateful to have a lot of friends and people that we admire in terms of uh, folks who are trying to help one another create new models of educational and uh, professional empowerment. This is a big question. I'm not going to hold you to the answer. But what does the future of education look like? Well, I can talk, Peter, probably in a higher ed context. Um, I think it's interesting in the United States, we've made a college degree, the quote, thing you have to get as that next step in life to, to become successful. Um, and this is a prevalent, I think, quite elitist notion that has permeated much of our society. I, I, I think you can 
count that mindset as fueling the college admission scandal where, you know, uh, parents were paying money to have their kids, you know, uh, pretend to be volleyball players and, you know, kayak rowers. Um, you know, and, and it's this notion that, you know, we have one definition of success in the United States in terms of education, which is get a bachelor's degree. And I think it's incredibly pro- problematic. So I think one way, pessimistically, the future of education can be is that we continue to put forth this elitist notion that, and we continue to move the goalposts in terms of this is what success looks like. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example, Peter, which is uh, that we focus a lot in this country culturally on preventing undermatching, which, you know, if any of your listeners know, is this idea that low-income, disadvantaged, first-gen students uh, are less likely to apply to and match at um, schools that are selective, that are elite, that are considered some of the best colleges in the United States, right? They're more likely to go to community colleges or state schools where graduation rates or chances of success might, might be lower. Well, you know, this idea of undermatching is very real. It really, though, only covers high-achieving low-income students, right? And we have this obsession in the United States of high-achieving low-income students going to, to elite school. So every year during college admission season, you will see, uh, and you can Google this if you want, uh, you know, news story after news story about, you know, and it always is a black or brown student who is low income, who's never been, a, you know, whose family has never, you know, no one's ever graduated from college. And they got into every single Ivy League school. And not to diminish their success, which is very deserved and worthy, we do need to diversify our elite institutions in the United States. But we celebrate these students and we elevate them as, wow, we, we have someone who, you know, historically someone of that background has never gone to Princeton or has never, you know, has not been allowed into Harvard at the same rates as, you know, uh, you know, uh, say white men. We celebrate those stories, but neglect completely the real lived experiences of the fact that let's say that student we celebrate who got into Harvard on a full ride, which is great. And we do need more of those students. Uh, you know, we celebrate that one student in a 500 person high school. What about the other 499? What about the other 50% of students who never had a chance to get into an elite school like Harvard, uh, but uh, who are working three jobs to make ends meet, looking to go to night school at the local community college, and who really, by and large, are forgotten and ignored because they haven't met this definition of success. And so I think the pessimistic answer is that the future of higher ed can be this continued bifurcation between the haves and have-nots, where we say, hey, everyone needs to go get this thing called a college degree, and college costs will continue to skyrocket, and low-income first-generation students are going to continue to take on debt at schools where um, you know schools will gladly take their money and take their loans, uh, but their endowment will continue to shrink. Graduation rates will continue to be low, and we'll continue, we're going to continue to have this idea of go to college, go to college, go to college without understanding that you know, we're not really meeting students where they are and really trying to lower costs. So that's, I think, what you're seeing by and large is you're just seeing people go to college and be pushed into this conception of higher education that doesn't meet them where they are. And this idea that a student can go to college, 
for two to four or five or six years, not work, not earn income, and you know struggle for this college degree, and then like a house, flip it for a better job without you know really understanding that you know the majority of low-income students who go to college don't earn a degree and have debt and no degree. Uh, I think that is a toxic mindset that has led us down a road where we're potentially harming students by telling them to go to college without supporting them in that search. And once they get there, uh, that it is if they actually just went straight and worked, got work experience, and then, you know, through more life experience and with a better financial situation, went back to school one day and, you know, found a pathway for themselves. Uh, The hopeful answer is, I hope the future of higher education is understanding that college needs to become more affordable and that we should not be putting students in situations where they're taken on more in debt over two to four years than their family makes in a single year. I think that's completely unjust. So I think you're hopefully going to see more flexible, affordable versions of higher education take hold uh, in a very positive manner. And I, and I hope that is the case. Uh, I, I, I think, too, I hope we normalize the idea of working and learning. That, you know, it is not shameful and it is not abnormal for a student to have to work to not just pay for school, but to pay for life. And that earning money and gaining work experience while you are in school should be something that colleges see as an opportunity to build their curriculum so it matches what people are looking for in the workforce. Again, this idea that you earn a degree, you gain experiences, and you take all these classes and you pay thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, and then you flip that degree for a job. Um, I hope that is more of an antiquated notion in 10 years and that we look at students' experiences at school, not just in the classroom, but how it links to what they do and, and how they learn in an actual work context. Um, and I think three, I, I hope you see a rethinking about what support systems are like uh, and, and how we tutor and help students through college at their own pace. I, I hope we look less at tests. I hope we look less at textbook fees. I hope we look more in terms of how do you support a student, not just to go on a campus, but learn from home at at their own pace. And so those are three areas that I hope the college sector moves in, away from this notion that a four-year college dormitory experience that students pay a lot of money for um, is the only way to look at success, that we switch that and say, hey, there are many ways to succeed. That model is still gonna exist, right? And I hope they find a way to make it more affordable and accessible for especially marginalized populations, that still needs to happen. There'll continue to be a market for that. But simply saying that is the one way to go to college and the one way to be successful has led a lot of colleges to unfortunately, I I think move move away from looking at lowering costs into an arms race over who can provide the best dorms, who can provide uh, a higher price tag to seem like a better value when really it's not. So, So I hope we democratize higher education in a way that meets students where they are. You've talked a lot about College Together and what you're doing. How would you summarize the contribution you would like College Together to have towards those goals that you have for the future of education? So that's a really uh, lofty question. I I would say, um, you know, what we've achieved is we're we're trying something new. We are confident in the fact that it can work. We've seen it work. Um, the question is, can you do it at scale and really move the culture? And so we are learning every single day. We're making mistakes. Um, and so I, I hope we contribute 
to the wider educational movement and we contribute to the higher education sphere, uh, this notion that you can try different things and that you do not need to simply look at a traditional institution and say, all right, how do we add on costs? How do we simply recruit and market better so more people pay for our service? But to really rethink the fundamental concept of what a college student looks like in the 21st century. You know, we, we call our students earning learners. That's what they are. You know, earning money, they're learning in work and in school. Um, and so I hope we can contribute and be a small part in a paradigm shift for what higher education can really look like. What resources exist for people to read more about some of the ideas you've talked about today or what websites, books, anything that you've been influenced by? Yeah, um, I would say, um, you know, folks can go online and look us up. Um, you know, I, I would say that our Instagram, you know, a, a, a nod to uh, our many students and partners who, uh, you know, leverage IG to try to get, get the word out, you know, tells a visual story of our work in terms of seeing it in action. Um, I would honestly recommend that uh, folks check out the work of our friends at Peloton U, at Duet, uh, you know, who have, who have really been doing this work, um, you know, for a very long time of trying to figure out how you support students who are post-traditional uh, as Hudson, uh, the, the, you know, one of the co-founders of Peloton would say, uh, who don't fit into the tr traditional mold. Um, you know, and I think what you'll find is that, you know, there is a lot of literature out there. If you look at, you know, if you type in future college on Amazon or your favorite, you know, local book website, or you go to your local bookstore, you'll find, um, many articles and books about the de-leveling of higher education, how things are moving digital. Uh, I, I, I think you see a lot of movement in terms of MOOCs, which is an interesting segment. You know, we've done some work with edX, uh, you know, and folks have heard of Coursera. Uh, and other platforms such as that, where, you know, you folks who are, you know, largely college graduates who are looking at add-on credentials. And so, you know, I think if you look at the MOOC, uh, you know, the, the massively open on, online courseware movement, um, you know, you'll see that there's this idea that, you know, hey, college doesn't need to be from this traditional old accredited institution. You know, employers really care about skills. and learning can be democratic and self-paced. And so you're seeing a shift, I think, nationally and globally towards learning being for everybody. What we've not figured out yet, Peter, that I'm really interested in, uh, just to add, is that we still hold on to this notion that a college degree is important in a accredited traditional format, right? And the idea of regional accreditation, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, there are a lot of for-profits that have tried national accreditation, which is not the highest level and doesn't work as well. Um, you know, we still tie ourselves to that idea that, oh, I, I want to be, you know, uh, uh, from a nonprofit fully accredited college, which is great. You know, we, we, we work with them, but it's funny that we allow pe 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 people to go online and, you know, add on skills. And we worry so much about skills as long as they have that basis of an accredited four-year college degree, right? Uh, of course, in some industries like law and, and medicine, that is still important that there be accreditation and training, but I think you're going to see that look very different 10 years down the line in terms of how employers look at skills. So it's going to take a lot of courage from colleges, from nonprofits, from employers to start looking at things differently. And so, you know, one thing that we've decided to, to do in our own organization 
is actually take away uh, re requirements for an associate's and bachelor's degrees for a lot of um, you know uh, our future hiring because we realize that learning can happen in different ways and there's not just one way to learn and be seen as somebody who has skills and is ready for the workforce. So I so I think if folks look online at resources um, around MOOCs around a, or, or, you know around accreditation. Um, you know, you'll, you'll find a lot of the seeds of what I think college will hopefully look like in the future. Do you have a brief thought that you want to leave our listeners with today that you, we haven't talked about today or something we have and you just want to emphasize? Yeah, I think um, in this age of, uh, you know, I mean, we're all right now in the midst of um, an incredible shift uh, in terms of how our country thinks about race, how it thinks about positionality, how it thinks about backgrounds, how it thinks about education. And I would encourage everybody listening to today to think about when they think about college and when they think about empowering young people, not just low-income folks, but young people in their communities, maybe your, you know, your own kids, uh, you know, family, friends, whoever it might be in your network, in your world. Uh, think about how to challenge your conception of what success means for them. So, you know, the example that I'll give is, you know, if you are somebody who's really interested in the future of higher education or, you know, K to 12 education, um, you know, look at your own experiences. Look at where you went to college. How might that change? Look at how you went to middle or high school and challenge yourself on that in the sense that, you know, are you someone who went through a particular kind of educational system and it is natural to want the best for your child or, a, you know, someone in your community. But do you think about what is best for your child in the same way that you think about what is best for folks who are not as fortunate uh, as you? Oscar Wang, this has been great. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter. Really, really appreciate it. My guest today was Oscar Wang of College Together. If you want to find out more about Oscar or College Together, go to collegetogether.org. Thanks for listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. See you next time.